Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits who are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner Chris Kozowski, and we love local at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more right now at parkpower.ca. We're entering the Christmassy season here yes. at the Read Along House. Yes, indeed. Now, for many people, the Christmassy time is is a time to put on some warm socks, maybe nestle up with a blanket in your favorite reading nook, hot cocoa, catch or up, hot beverage of your choice. Indeed, catch up on your current reading, whether it be the next chapter in our novel or. Whatever other novels you're currently mainlining, as I assume you are. (laughs) But uh, also, for us here, it is a time for lots of Christmas stuff. Yeah. Between Christmas shopping and doing a little decorating around the house because the kids like it, uh, to uh, assorted work Christmas parties. It's been a busy couple weeks. The pandemic has really altered the way our Christmas goes, though. And of course, having children did that as well, right? Yeah. Our Christmas season used to be full of parties and concerts and events and all sorts of things. And then we had children, which meant we couldn't go to absolutely everything anymore. And then a pandemic hit and the events sort of had to stop. Yeah, a lot of them dried up. And many of them haven't returned. Yeah, several of them haven't returned. Uh, The one Christmas concert that I am excited to go to every year, the Christmas Cabaret, Mm -hmm. uh, has not been for safety reasons for a number of years, Yeah, uh, which makes me sad. But it's one less thing on our calendar. Since changing jobs, kind of, our kids only have one Christmas party to go to now instead of two. Yeah. (laughs) Office-wise. Yeah, there are fewer events now, which makes life a little bit easier. I suppose hectic different. Hectic different. Hectic different. That's a way to put it. Yeah, because we still have to do all the shopping, and there's still people we want to see, and there is still stuff to do. For sure. Christmassy things to do. It's just different. Yeah, not necessarily bad. Also cold. Oh, we are in the middle of a cold, cold, cold snap right now, and going outside is... A terrible idea. Yeah. The cold snap, however, is going to last today, and then it's supposed to warm up tomorrow. Oh, thank goodness. I'm not sure I wholly believe that. I am hopeful, but I've lived here all my life. Yeah. uh, Like a 20 degree difference between today and tomorrow. Yeah. Because that's just the way the weather works now. I'm skeptical, though, because weather will turn on you. Weather is fickle. Well, one thing that isn't fickle is (laughs) the regularity of our podcast. And uh, so we should get into our next chapter, starting with, of course, a recap of our previous chapter, in which the team tromp through the woods with uh, an excited dev team who are just happy to be talking to some playtesters, make it to a tavern in a picturesque fantasy village where they are introduced to Arthur Beckett, 
the production manager for the island, and he proceeds to tell them that he knows literally nothing about what's going on. <laughs> and that leads us into chapter 12 of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. Now, Torres, understandably, is like, what do you mean you don't know what's going on? (laughs) You are the production manager of this project. How do you? You should be the guy who knows all the things. (laughs) And Arthur basically lays out that Harris Lang has a terrible policy in place for this island, where the left hand and the right hand are explicitly encouraged not to tell each other what they're doing. Yes. Okay. So Lang's business practice here, if you will, is to get his employees very, very invested in their jobs by offering incentives for development. Yeah. So if you develop something that gets incorporated into the game, into the island, into et cetera, et cetera, right? If you invent something that's really awesome. Yeah, you have a little bit of proprietary ownership yes. of that. And there's a bonus attached to it. Yeah, and right? if it if it also happens to be a technology that could then be patented outside of the island. Even more money. Even more money. Right? So everyone is very, very invested in producing for the island because it will make returns. On the one hand, this is good because it's encouraging this kind of creative uh, rush on the island. Yes. On the other hand... It's generated this paranoid culture of secrecy, right? Because There's no one lots wants to be secrecy. No one wants to be scooped. Everyone wants to be able to make a big splashy announcement at these like general meetings that they have, right? I and invented so, anti gravity. So no one knows what's going on at any given time or what uh, what any particular team is currently working on. To the point where Arthur is legitimately cagey about letting the mercenaries look at the stuff his team has been working on, even right? though Torres is like, number one, we're here to save your butt. Number two, I've signed all the NDAs. Let me see the stuff. Right? Okay. So I can't tell if that's amazing business practice that's kind of gone wrong or if that's evil genius. No, that's terrible business practice. Okay. It is It is super capitalist. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's incredibly short-sighted business practice because it did foster this level of secrecy amongst the development team, which led to a point where somebody pulled a switch somewhere and took over the island and one third of the team literally has no idea why it happened or what's going on. Yeah, or what they can do about it. Which is literally nothing at the moment. Yeah, so they sort of just continued to, like with no other options, they continued to carry on. Yeah, basically. Right? Like, okay, well, we can't get off the island. We're fine. We have nothing else to do. I suppose we keep working? That's more or less what the situation is for at least Arthur's team. Right? Arthur admits that he was aware that Dominic's team, at the very least, was working on some sort of energy repulsing technology, but not necessarily on an island encompassing scale. That seems to be surprising to him. He doesn't even actually say it was Dominic's team. He says one of the other teams was working. Yeah, because he doesn't know who did it yeah. specifically, right? Also, because there has been like no contact between the teams in months now. Because when the island shut down, everybody kind of like holed up together. Yeah. Um, it means that he doesn't know who's in charge at the moment. He doesn't no. know if Dominic's team pulled the switch. He doesn't know if Tess's team pulled the switch. He doesn't know if some other force pulled the switch. He has no idea what's going on. Nope. So Torres is like, well, let's go figure out what's going on. You and me and your Robin Hood team will all go to Tor Camelot. We'll burst down the door 
and we'll take over the island ourselves so we can get everything back under control. And Arthur's like, well, there's a hitch in that plan. Because Tor Camelot isn't just the control center. It's the last boss of the island. It's, it's the final dungeon. It is Ganondorf's domain. It's full of puzzles and traps. And whoever pulled the switch activated all that. So there's no easy way in, which seems like an incredibly terrible design choice. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. I'm like, this is poor park design. Yeah. We talked about this in a, in a different episode. You don't put the keys to the castle at the end of the maze, right? Conquering Splash Mountain does not get you into the control room of Splash Mountain. Yeah, and if It's a Small World breaks down, in theory, the team that fixes it doesn't need to go through the entire ride to get to the controls. Right? Like You shouldn't have to fight off the pirates to change a light bulb in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. But that seems to be the case here in Questland. This is and a terrible that is, idea. That is a terrible idea. It's an abject failure of engineering, and Tess's team, the engineering team, needs to be held accountable for it. Probably? Yes. <laughs> oh, just, I roll my eyes. I'm like, no, that's not how theme parks should work. Oh, no. No, it, it's not. But it is unfortunately the situation that Torres and his team find themselves in. <gasps> Possible good news for Addie, who loves a good game yeah, and likes to, to solve problems. But uh, for the rest of the team, a very frustrating situation oh, to find yeah. themselves in. Okay, one more thing I want to, before we carry on with our story, there's one more thing I need to ask about because I think it's important. I suspect that there is clearly more to this than what we're getting because I have a hard time believing that these employees are so very invested in what they're doing that they would rather be trapped on an island in character, fending for themselves, then assist this mercenary team who's here to help them, who also works for Lang. There's still some lingering suspicion about who these people are. Like, yeah, they had the message from Harris Lang, and that put them largely at ease, but Arthur's been living on an island for over a year in a, a very paranoid environment, remember, because of the, the monetary incentive. There's a lot of potential money on the line for him and his team if their secrets get out. So they're being deliberately cagey and withholding. Like to the point where when Torres is like, take me to your office, we're going to see if we can find some maps yeah, he or was some like, mm -mm. other information. And Arthur practically wants, like you can see, he wants to say, no, you can't look at that stuff. But at the same time, he's got his orders from Lang's hologram and Torres's team seems to be on the up and up. And clearly they need to regain control of the island. And those are two powerful forces fighting against each other inside of him because there's all this money and prestige on the line. I know. But also he needs to help regain control of this. And I can't help but think that that maybe is one of the reasons why, assuming that Dominic's team or Tess's team is the other party that's not involved in the coup, right. let's just assume that they haven't acted as well is because again, there's all this money and prestige on the line. So you just kind of wait and see if Harris sends someone to go and fix everything because you don't want to risk rocking the boat upsetting the status quo, and losing out on this lucrative payday. You'd rather be trapped? In yeah. You'd rather be trapped in Jurassic Park, potentially eaten by dinosaurs, than tell them what how to how to save you. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what's happening here, and I think it's bonkers. Bonkers. But this is the culture that Harris Lang's business directives have fostered on this island. At any rate, 
Torres does finally get Arthur to relent and he takes him up to his office. And this is another instance of Addie being like ripped out of the fantasy and it's super dispiriting to her. <laughs> Poor Be- thing. Because his office looks like a boring office. Well, no, his office looks right, but there are pieces in it that are then wrong. Yeah, right? like he's got a laptop and like a modern wall safe. and Right, this, this old like antique desk in this beautiful like tavern room with a laptop in it. Yeah. <laughs> Right? There's a tapestry on the wall that has a modern safe in it. And she's like, oh, (laughs) they didn't have safes back then. Yeah. Totally out of place. So Torres and Wendell start like rifling around in papers and Arthur's like, no, my papers. And when when Addie does find the wall safe, Arthur relents and opens it. But he's like, there's not really anything in there. There's just this prototype data storage thing. And it's a whole Triforce of Power. It's literally a triangle. Yeah, it's a red triangle. It's a Triforce of Power. Eddie even makes a reference to Zelda. Right. I I squeed a little, being the big Zelda fan that I am. And then Eddie does what any good character in a point-and-click adventure game should do, (laughs) which is you pocket anything you find. Yep, she grabs it, puts it in her pocket. Because it's going to be useful. Like, yes, it seems weird that I have a stick covered in honey in my pocket, (laughs) but it's certainly going to be useful later on in a puzzle, and sure enough, it will be. But the game let me pick it up, and so I'm going to keep it. So along with the ring, which she makes a mental note not to mention, she's being a little guarded about it at the moment. She doesn't want Arthur's team to know she has it. In her defense, she is now behaving in kind. Yeah. She pockets the Triforce of Power and uh, something else, too. She keeps so she, something else in her in, pocket. In her pocket now, she has, a, what I wrote, a ring, a thing, and a D20. Oh, yeah, and her lucky D20. Her lucky D20. Because I don't know what, short of calling it a Triforce, which is what we could call it, I don't know what it's actually called. Well, he calls it a, a prototype data storage device that doesn't have anything on it, according to him. Yeah, that is... Too long. So I called it a thing. So what she has is a ring, a thing, and a D20. There you go. Wendell does manage upon like some schematics for the island that are a little less fantasy and a little more like practical. Yes. So he and Torres pocket those. And Wendell's like, I really wish I could just take the whole laptop, but that doesn't seem very practical. Also, Beckett would like you could hear him die a little inside at the idea of losing that laptop. Yeah. But he does agree ultimately to help them as well. And the chapter kind of ends with them heading downstairs and Addie kind of taking a look around at the, the top level of the this tavern and seeing like other doors and another corridor. And she can't help but wonder like... And she's like, like I getting want really to... close to the tapestries and like inspecting them for and, detail. Yeah, and she's like, there's there's more story in... The, I can tell there's more story. There's a plot. There's a quest in this tavern and I desperately want <laughs> to follow it. Sigh. And she follows them down the stairs to get right? back into the it's mission. It's like, Addie... I'm coming. Fine. Yeah, she. Ad- That's how it ends, and I love. I love that. She admits she's getting a little tired of Torres's like professor tone, <laughs> where he's calling her back to reality. And at but, the same time, he's probably tired of being like, "Addie, let it go. We have something to do. You, you can go and play later. We have work to do. <laughs> we have work to do." But that's where the chapter ends. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it that it ended on that uh, like familiar and humorous note. It was a feel good moment. Yeah. So they they have a cagey but seemingly onboard ally at the moment. Yes. And the caginess is explainable because, again, this is a team who've been for over a year living in this environment where, yes, creativity is being encouraged, but also secrecy. Yeah. And so that also explains why Robin Hood was being so cagey with the team, why everyone was being like, shut up when anybody would like gush over (laughs) something. It's because this is how they don't just treat these strange mercenaries who've arrived on the island. This is how they've been treating the other teams on the island for months. Yeah, I suppose if you live in that world for long enough, it just becomes normal and natural. Yeah. 
and then having to suddenly cooperate and remember what it's like to live outside of that. Well, and to and kind of hard. Not just that, but to be open and frank about what's going on. Yeah. I don't think anyone's been open and frank about anything in months and months. Yeah. Everybody's it's, keeping it must secrets. Feel weird. Everybody's keeping secrets from one another. So Okay, so I'm just really curious about what it is they're keeping secret. Does it matter to our story? Are it they just might. like being super dodgy about what's out there? They might be super dodgy just because they don't want to give up like any of the little things that they've been working on. They want to be able to surprise people. But it's also possible they're being cagey because there is some guilt there. Maybe. Like, if nothing else, Arthur and his team are complicit in what's gone on on the island. If the island has gone out of control and been locked down, they're partly responsible. Arthur Beckett is the project leader. Yeah. He should be, in theory, in charge of the whole island, and he's not. He's he's only in charge of his own team. Yeah. He's allowed these other two teams to run roughshod. The island is now out of control, and a Coast Guard's boat worth of people are dead. He Arthur didn't know is that. Arthur doesn't matter. He's complicit in it. And he knows that on some level. And that might add to the caginess as well. Deep, deep down inside him. He's not necessarily somewhere he knows he's going to have to face like a judge. And someone is going to ask him, like, look, when you lost contact. Why didn't you do something about it? Yeah, because even if he's not directly responsible, he's complicit. Yeah, you're right. And that goes that goes for the rest of the people on the island, too. Mm-hmm. Certainly the three heads of the island, Dominic oh, yeah. and Tess and Arthur. The all. higher up you are in this island, the more hierarchy, you, the more your hands are dirty. on. Oh, yeah. The, the guiltier you're going to be when we finally get in front of that judge. Yeah. So there you go. So, yes, this is where we've left off, though. The barest skeleton of an explanation (laughs) of what's going on. Yep. But a little restock, some allies, a short rest, and then off they go again. Hey, a short rest so you can regain your spell slots and be on your way. Yeah. All right. So uh, you'll want to read up on chapter 13 in time for next week. Lucky chapter 13. Uh, In the meantime, you know, a good workplace, an open workplace, a workplace where colleagues are able to share in each other's successes in a much more positive way. Probably also has a good boss who's looking out for them with good benefits. And if you have a a small business and a small team, you might not be able to uh, provide benefits on a grand scale. You might need to turn to some outside help in order to get that done. And a great place to look would be Alberta Blue Cross. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Talking about Alberta Blue Cross. It's important to have health insurance. It's also important for us to have sponsorships. <laughs> yes. So. so everybody wins. Yeah. You can check out the other sponsors of the Alberta Podcast Network right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. That is also where you can check out a bunch of other member podcasts. They'll definitely have something there that you're going to enjoy. You can find it probably on your podcatcher of choice, which is also probably where you're downloading this pod. Well, that all just makes sense. Give us a little rating and review that helps us out. Oh, we would appreciate it. We like feedback. Yeah, we also like to uh, exchange feedback on the internet via (laughs) social media. (laughs) We're, We're part of the big ones. 
We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. So pick your favorite. Yeah. We are at the read along on most of those, which I hope makes us easy to find. You can also send us an email. Yes, we are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. I still want to know what's up with the cat. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.